turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're actually going to start in chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we'll read into chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to make an editorial comment about the hymn we just sang. Uh, There's uh, uh, a modern tune to this hymn, I think they ought to throw away that modern tune. I think this tune of 461 is so good. And if that last line in it does not send shivers up your spine, I don't know what else will. I love because he loveth me. I live because he lives. We live only because of the mercy of Christ. And because of his great resurrection. That's the end of the editorial comment uh, for this morning. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 13. And I'm then going to read through chapter 2 verse 7. It's actually a short section of scripture. But pay careful attention to God's word from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Now chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you again that we can come to look at your word. Help us to study it rightly. Help us to not just study it for the purpose of gaining knowledge, but to study your word for understanding that we may follow Christ that we may serve him, that we may glorify him in our lives. And Father, to lift your name high in everything that we do. 
I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I forgot to tell you, uh, I read this morning from the New King James Version of the Bible. I have four words I want the children to listen to today. Adults, you can listen to it also. But it's four words I want the children to remember today. The first word is strong. Like a person is strong and not weak. Strong. The second one is grace. We speak a lot about God's grace given to us. So listen for the word grace. The third word I want you to listen to is faithful. I think last week one of the words was faith. Well, today I want you to listen to the word faithful. And the last word you ought to be listening for, and you need to listen to it in every sermon, is Jesus. Listen for Jesus today. There was a man, perhaps you've heard the story of him. His name was Jack LaLanne. Now, for those who are my age, we know who Jack LaLanne was. He grew up as what we would call a 98-pound weakling. I don't know how that's going to translate as you listen to it. But fundamentally, uh, it would be a man who's about my size, but it was only 98 pounds. I can tell you that I weigh a lot more than that, and my weight actually begins with the number two. So you can then add to it, okay? So he was a proverbial 98-pound weakling. He was a fast food junkie. That means he liked to eat a lot of fast foods. But this was the time before there was McDonald's and Burger King. But he liked to eat fast foods. He was a sugarholic. He liked to have a lot of cakes and sweet things to eat. Well, he gave up eating those foods. And he changed his eating habits. And he developed an exercise routine. In 1936, so about 85 years ago, when he was 21 years of age, he opened a gymnasium. And a multi-million dollar empire began, which was based off of fitness, exercise, and nutrition. Some of you may even have a Jack LaLanne juicer. If you know what a juicer is, you know, it takes uh, like carrots. You can put a carrot in and it separates the juice from the pulp of the carrot. Jack LaLanne one day did over 1,000 push-ups in 23 minutes. He would perform exotic events on his birthdays. When he turned 61 years old in 1974, he swam the length of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It was almost one mile in length he swam underwater and he was handcuffed. And while he was shackled in those handcuffs, 
he even pulled behind him a 1,000-pound boat. In 1980, when he was 66 years old, old, he was in North Miami, Florida, and he towed 10 boats behind him that carried 77 people, and he towed them over one mile, 1.6 kilometers, in less than one hour. Jack LaLanne was famous for saying, I would hate to die because it would ruin my image. Well, Jack LaLanne didn't die, but by any stretch of the imagination, Jack LaLanne was a strong man. He worked hard at it and lived a lifestyle which helped him to be strong. Well, in our passage today, I know that was a long introduction, but in our passage today, Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And that comes right on the heels of describing to Timothy the good deeds that I read in chapter 1 that Onesiphorus had accomplished for him while visiting him in Rome. It also comes after describing a couple men, again, who about read in chapter 1, had turned away. But if you recall in that previous section, Paul also told, also told Timothy to stand fast in the teaching that he had received from Paul himself. So as we look at today's passage, the first point I want to consider is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and it is this, is that a believer in Christ is to be strong in the grace of Christ. A believer in Christ is to be strong in the grace of Christ. Now in some sense, this sounds like an oxymoron. Grace is given to us not because we're strong, it's given to us because we're weak. It's not given because we are strong people. We need God's grace for all things. We need God's grace for salvation because without it, we would have no salvation. In Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to refer to Romans chapter 5 several times here. In Romans 5, Paul speaks a lot about God's grace. In Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. After spending the previous two chapters in the book of Romans talking about being justified by faith, Paul tells us that we have peace with God and we now have access to this grace in which we stand and rejoice and hope to of the glory of God. Being able to stand in God's grace implies that we have a sure footing, a sure foundation, and it is based on God's grace. Later in Romans 5, 
verse 15, Paul says, For if by one man's Adam's, he was talking about Adam, Adam's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. It is God's grace that has overcome the sin of Adam. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism question 16 points out, Adam's sin brought all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation into a state of sin and misery. There's only one person who did not descend from Adam by ordinary generation, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who did not inherit a state of sin and misery. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22 says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We do not overcome the wages of sin by our own strength, our own works, our own desire. We overcome the penalty for sin by God's grace. Romans 5.17, Paul says it another way, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Christ. So what was said up there in 1 Corinthians 15 is also said in Romans 5:17. It's just said another way. The new Adam, Jesus, allows us to receive an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. God declares us just and righteous because of Jesus. Then later in Romans chapter 5, Paul again is talking about what sin has brought into the world and he concludes the chapter by saying in verses 20 and 21, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace reigned through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the grace upon which we can stand. It's a grace that brings us out from our sin and misery. It's a grace that takes us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. It's a grace that allows us to have peace with God. The second point I want to make, and it's found in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, is the truths of God's word are to be passed to faithful men. The truths of God's word are to be passed to faithful men. The teaching of God's word is also to be given uh, to faithful women. Now, I know I'm today talking a lot about faithful men, but this, so much of this applies to women as well. Paul already spoke of Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, who taught Paul the scriptures from the time he was young. As he pointed out uh, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, in a part I did not read, there are many other godly women that Paul speaks of in scripture. So women are not excluded. You don't get a pass to stay away from learning about the scriptures. It, is, it applies to women as well. 
But in this particular situation, Paul is talking to Timothy about passing on God's truths to faithful men. It is too easy for men to get busy in their lives and be concerned about their careers. But men are called to be faithful. Men can get too busy following the standings of their favorite sports team. They can get too busy planning the next vacation for the family. They can get too busy to want to just get away from others and get in their isolated room by themselves. And they stop interacting maybe with their wives and their children. The call for men is to be faithful. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 20 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22 that being faithful is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You know that list of about nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, that is being faithful is part of being a a fruit of the Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, you are called to be faithful. These words about faithful men had a ring to his ears, because, to Timothy's ears, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, these words were used to describe Timothy to the Corinthian church. It says, therefore I urge you, imitate me. This is Paul. Now he says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everyone in every church. Every man here should aspire to be faithful. Every man here in this church, in this church, should be your aspiration to aspire to be a faithful man. Notice I didn't say that you should put on a facade, try to say a few religious words, or put on an act so that people will think you're faithful. You should be faithful, and others should see your faithfulness. Not because you parade it out for others to see, but because others can't help but see that you are faithful. In that 1 Corinthians passage I just read, Paul boldly states, imitate me. Paul knows that he's a sinner. Paul knows that he's not perfect. But Paul also knows that he is faithful to God and he knows that others need to follow hard after Christ. In December of the year 2000, there was a plane that was headed from London to Nairobi, Kenya. There was a madman on board who tried to overtake the plane. He ran through the first class section into the cockpit and then he started fighting with the crew of the aircraft. A couple men that we knew from Sumter, South Carolina, were on that plane, and they happened to be sitting in the first-class section. 
those men rushed to the cockpit to try to help the flight crew. The plane was diving and was nearly out of control. One of those men was probably the only man on that plane who could have taken down this madman. He was a six foot seven inch former basketball player. That's two meters tall for those of you who think in meters or the metric system and not uh, the imperial system. He was over two meters tall. He was a former basketball player at one of the major colleges in the United States, Clemson. He was able to reach around that man and pull him off of the pilot. So along with this other man that we knew from South Carolina, they were able to pull this man away and were able to find some nylon straps to restrain that man. The pilots were able to recover the plane and it was able to land a couple hours later in Nairobi. Well, a few years after this incident, we became members of the same church as these two men. We didn't know them at the time of the incident, but a few years later, we, uh, we met them. One of those men is still there. He's an elder in the church. The other man, who was the Clemson basketball player, the tall man, the six-foot-seven-inch tall man, died several years ago of cancer. He was young. He was 47 years old. When he was within a few weeks of dying, one of his college-age daughters came to him and hopped up on his bed and asked him, Daddy, what sort of man should I marry? His answer was not, marry a Christian man or marry a man who can provide financially for you. His answer was, marry a man who is running hard after Christ. For you men out here, this is the type of man your daughters ought to be marrying. For you parents here today, this is the type of man you need to be raising in your homes. Ones who will follow hard after Christ. For you young boys here today, for you children, that's the type of man you need to be. You need to be the type of man who should aspire to run hard after Christ. Maybe some of you men here today have not been that type of faithful man who is committed to following Jesus and leading his family the way you should. If you're married or if you're single, maybe you've not been living the type of life you need to be living that honors God. Paul has 
a good answer for that. And he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, when he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Some of you may be like that here today. Maybe that's the type of person you have been, but now you have an opportunity today to run hard after Christ. No matter what your background has been and no matter what failures you've had, Jesus Christ is the one who can change you and call you out of your present condition. Paul had been a murderer of Christians and a self-proclaimed blasphemer, but God changed his heart. And now he was in the ministry. I don't know a person alive who's perfect. But God can take you, and if you'll be faithful to him, and if you would stand on the grace that God has given, you will be able to be the type of man that leads your family well. You will be the type of woman who is able to walk daily with Christ and to serve him honorably. And this will help you to properly prioritize your life so that you are running hard after Jesus. This brings me to my third point. It's also found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Faithful men are to teach others. Faithful men are to teach others. In Exodus chapter 4, after God has called Moses to lead the children of Israel. God and Moses are having a dialogue and Moses is giving every excuse he can to come up with to not lead the people of Israel. By the way, that sounds like many men I know, they come up with every excuse they can to not take a position of leadership. We can come up with so many excuses to not take on responsibilities. My thumb hurts. My toe hurts. We come up with every excuse. But God twice tells Moses that he will teach him. In Exodus 4.12, he says, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Then in verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, uh, when speaking about Aaron, God says, now you speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall say. If you are unsure of what you are to teach, go to God and ask him. Go to his word and see what he wants you to say. Many parents here know the uh, verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6 or the passage in chapter 6 that begins with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk in by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As parents, we are called to teach our children. We are to teach them about the things of God. We are to teach them to love God. Many parents, particularly back in the States, choose to homeschool. The focus of that education is to be about teaching your children to know God. If you send your children to a Christian or a public school, you as parents still are responsible to teach your children about God and to teach them to love him. Don't leave it to other people to teach about God as the primary role in the primary role. You as parents have the primary responsibility to teach and train your children. Others can help. And as a church here at CFC, we have a responsibility to assist parents to train and nurture their children. But the primary discipling is to occur in the home. And dads, you're the ones who are mainly responsible for that. The father may have long work days and even have long uh, TDYs, we say in the military, or long business trips. Uh, But at the end of the day, the father needs to take on the role of being the main discipler in the home. Faithful men teaching is not confined to teaching your children. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, one of the qualifications for being an elder in the church is that a man is to be able to teach. You just ordained three elders uh, a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. You just ordained them. Well, one of the qualifications was they have to be able to teach. That doesn't mean that other men can't teach, but they have to be able to teach. And this passage in 1 Timothy 3.2 doesn't say anything about teaching. You have to know the Greek and the Hebrew roots of Bible words. It doesn't say that he is to know every truth of Scripture. But such faithful men are ones who are able to take the truths of Scripture and to digest them and then be able to take these truths and pass to others. This means that a faithful man is to be a disciple himself and is to be absorbing God's word into his life. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples of all nations and then he tells us how in verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
The teaching ministry of the church is vital as it is the mechanism that is ordinarily used to convert souls. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I imagine here today, every man in this church has been uh, employed or has had a job in the past. Some of you may be retired now, but every, every one of you have had some sort of a job. And every man and woman for that matter, but who has had a job has received teaching and training in order to do that job. Well, the same is true in discipleship. Every one of us needs to be trained, and every one of us needs a trainer. In the church, we need faithful men. We need faithful women who will, be, who will teach others the truths of Christ so that the next generation will be able to make disciples of all nations. My final point today is that faithful men will endure. Faithful men will endure. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3 that as a faithful man, Timothy is to endure hardship. If you're looking for a life, a Christian life that is pain-free and without struggle, you are not being realistic. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Finally, brethren, put on, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There is spiritual warfare in this life. And the only answer is the gospel. We are to put on that armor of God. But then Paul goes on to tell us a little more from verses 14 through 18 in Ephesians 6. Therefore, stand having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Once again, we are told to stand. We are told to put on the gospel. We are told to use the word of God as a sword. The only way we can endure is to put on that full armor of God. And notice how Paul in 2 Timothy 2 uses a couple of analogies that speak of rewards at the end. 
The athlete doesn't get the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The farmer will be the first to partake of his crops. In both cases, the reward comes at the conclusion of time. In the sports case, it's after the game. In the farmer's case, it's after the growing season. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. Our reward comes at the end. We may have to endure much. We may have to struggle much. But in the end, we will receive a great reward. And my last word is that none of us are perfect. I love that passage in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14. I want you to listen to this and apply it to yourself. I hope you've listened to everything else and will apply it to yourself. But I want you to listen to this and apply it to yourself. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. None of us are perfect, but we're called to press on. There is an upward call in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've blown it in your life. You've made big mistakes. If you have blown it in your life, you need to leave the things behind and press on. Now, you may need to go back and make something right with a person that you've hurt. But we're not to dwell on our past sins and errors, we use them as testimonies actually, about God's goodness. There is a danger in some very well-intentioned groups where the common reason to come together is a fault or some sin problem. The call of the Christian is to press on. Are our eyes on the prize or are our eyes on our past failures. Remember the story I said a few minutes ago about the father who told his daughter to find a man who is running hard after God? From what I heard, she married that sort of man. And that's what the Christian is to do. Fix our eyes on Jesus and run hard after him. Let me encourage all of you, particularly the men. I'm really talking to the men a lot here today. But all of you, to run after Christ and to be a faithful follower of him. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you that we could come to you to consider your word again. Father, not that we have our acts perfectly together because we don't, but we know that Jesus is the one who's perfect. We know that Jesus is the one to whom we are to fix our eyes and help us to do so and to seek him and to glorify him. In Christ's name I pray, amen.